This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com, the Big Change Program, and Well Start Health. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live an open-minded and outstanding life. So you're going to love this week's guest. He comes equipped with a fantastic Australian accent and a humorist's bent on the world. Clint Patterson was actually pursuing a career as a stand-up comic in Australia when he was struck with a debilitating case of rheumatoid arthritis. A former athlete and science all-star, Clint found himself almost unable to work, to move, to enjoy life. He discouraged his girlfriend from marrying him because he didn't want to ruin her life as well. And at first, Clint followed the doctor's advice and embarked on an aggressive pharmaceutical protocol that turned out to be almost as bad as the disease. So pain, disability, misery, and early death seemed the only path forward. Then one day, he discovered a secret delivered by poison cherry. Fasting, induced by that food poisoning, profoundly relieved his symptoms. Intrigued, Clint fired up his science brain and began searching for answers, and he discovered a world of evidence not taught in medical school then and not taught in medical school now that diet and lifestyle can manage, stall, and even reverse severe cases of rheumatoid arthritis and other autoimmune disorders as well. Clint made it his mission to first heal himself and then share what he had learned with the world. Now Clint runs the Pattison Program, an online training course dedicated to helping rheumatoid arthritis sufferers everywhere reverse their disease and lead happy, healthy, vibrant, fulfilled lives. Before we get to it, I want to remind everyone of two things. One, that I've installed SpeakPipe on my website. So if you go to today's episode, which is plantyourself.com slash 272, you can leave an audio comment. Let me know what you think. Uh, it can be just for my ears, or you can indicate that you'd like it published, and other people can hear it as well. Much easier than typing, much more fun, and I hope you uh, take advantage of it, because I spent 100 bucks on this thing, and I really haven't used it very much. Second thing is, speaking of money, um, I would love to get more patrons to help support this podcast. So if you're interested in that, in showing um, your appreciation for the podcast and helping it grow and reach more people, you can do so at plantyourself.com and just scroll down the right sidebar and click that Patreon button and it'll take you right to where you need to go. All right. That's about it for announcements for today. So without further ado, Clint Patterson, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Oh, thanks so much. What a joy. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, you're, you're my uh, second Australian accent in a row, actually. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, we do tend to take over the world. Uh, you know, let's see, see if we can get three. I'll think of a friend who's vegan and we'll get him on the show. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I remember playing uh, Risk, and Australia was always my favorite continent because it was the it was the most costly to conquer for the least uh, value strategically. <laughs> and there's some risks going there, obviously, with your health, with regards to uh, surviving the crazy wild animals that are over there. Americans always love asking about the wild animals, you know, and I point out that you're more likely to get shot in Detroit than eaten by a shark. Right, right. And, and uh, a recent book I was reading was saying that if we, if we had rational uh, assessment of fear, we would run away, run, run away screaming at cheeseburgers <laughs> right. rather than spiders. 
<laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, the most deadliest thing in Australia is actually this thing called the box jellyfish, but like only one person every year or so actually dies from it. So, you know, it's it's a it's poor publicity for our country to have all of these uh, fears around the animals when really it's mostly uh, harmless, uh, enjoyable landscape and lots of beautiful beaches. Mm. Well, I, th I think this probably has uh, has some resonance with with your story and in terms of like what people are scared of in terms of what's going to harm them and what, uh, you know, what they're not and what kind of things, you know, we all we all like to pay attention to the extremes, whether it's the extreme um, disease or the extreme cure. And before we got on the air, I was just uh, boning up on on uh, your story. And I, and I watched the beginning of a video that you gave at a uh, at a sort of a uh, natural health conference in which you, you pointed out that um, most people in the, in the medical mainstream would would ha would not understand why you're talking about rheumatoid arthritis and diet in the same breath. Right. Because di diet is not nearly as sexy as some amazing new pill procedure or uh, or technology. That's so true. I know from what you've just said, which video you're talking about, that was a presentation to about 220-odd naturopaths. And they um, were a great group. The, the very fun presentation, that one, very responsive, laughed a lot and so on. But, yeah, I said, why Why would I be mentioning, you know, diet and rheumatoid arthritis in the same sentence to a bunch of people who uh, are in sort of the healthcare industry? And... Um, it's so true. There's no sexiness in diet whatsoever. Um, it's almost as boring as talking about exercise. People don't want to hear about that either, especially when we're talking about chronic disease. But the truth is that when you've got 100 trillion bacteria in your body and those are mostly housed in your colon digestive system and they influence your immune system, they need to eat. They have uh, a dramatic outcome you know, on our health, then we should be concerned about feeding them like we do our own human children and making sure that they have a extraordinary life so that they can uphold our health. Right. So, so let's, uh, let, let's get into that. Why, why don't you begin by just, uh, you know, t telling us, uh, your story and your journey a little bit. Yeah, so I thought I was going to be this famous stand-up comedian in Australia. I was appearing on TV shows and I was just living the dream. I was traveling interstate, doing performances, you know, headlining comedy clubs, having a great time. And then one morning, uh, God had a different plan and uh, I woke up and I had sore feet in a way that I hadn't felt before. You know, the feet felt like I'd bruised them somehow in the padding and I ignored it for a few mornings and... And then it, I started to get swelling in my fingers. And so when I returned from my interstate little comedy trip, I went to the general practitioner, local doctor, and he ran blood tests and my rheumatoid factor, my anti-CCP antibodies, my um, my inflammation markers of C-reactive protein and sed rate, everything was elevated. And he looked at my fingers and he heard of my talk, talk about my pain in my feet. And he just said, look, you got rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, I need to fast-tracked you to a specialist rheumatologist doctor and the fast-tracking took two months <laughs> uh, and uh, I'd hate to see what the slow track was but I got there in the end and I walked into the rheumatologist completely naive you know I didn't think this was going to be serious I I was a cross-country champion at school 
uh, in a little town, admittedly. Um, you know, there was, uh, wasn't a strong field of runners, let me put it that way. The second fastest uh, was my school teacher. Um, but I beat him, so I'm still the champion. And, uh, and anyway, I took that throughout my university years. I was, I was the sports captain at my college and I ran the Sydney City to Surf. Uh, in the, I was within the first 5,000 runners of, of nearly 100,000 without training. So I thought, how can someone get anything serious when you're, when you're pretty naturally fit? And, and how old were you at this point? 31. I'm 42 now, so we're going back 11 years. Gotcha. Okay, so, yeah. so you got this diagnosis and you, uh, you shrugged it off, it sounds like. Well, I was I was ready to hear about how to shrug it off. I walked into the rheumatologists and looked around, and it was mostly, um, you know, more elderly people who looked in very bad shape. And I thought, okay, I'm in the wrong place, you know. <laughs> uh, the rheumatologist shook my hand as if it was broken, uh, clearly uh, sending a message that you know he has to do that with most of his patients. And he was a lovely lovely dude and i'm like okay so tell us how many how many people come in here and then just get rid of the disease and don't have to go on the medications and he's at the end of his career and he's head of department of rheumatology at the biggest hospital in sydney and he said nobody Mm. and i said all right um Maybe I'd underestimated this. He said, I, I, you know, it's very serious. We need to hit the disease very hard aggressively with medication so that your uh, joints are protected and you'll likely be on medications for the rest of your life. Uh, he said, uh, we've got one here called methotrexate. Uh, it's a cancer drug and it's um, pretty toxic. So you're going to have to get your blood tested every month to make sure that your liver's sort of hanging in there and, um, you know, you'll be very fatigued and you won't be able to, you know, start having kids and um you know i said well you know it is attractive um <laughs> but can you just give yeah. me what, what are the downsides some... yeah what's the catch <laughs> exactly oh my gosh. and i said well you know let me have a think about it uh, i went away and i i went down the classic path of buying glycosamine sulfate supplements and fish oils and the the uh the the normal naive path of um of go to nowhere and i tried all the all of the natural remedies you know went and saw naturopaths and so forth for the very first time chinese herbalists all i did some weird and wonderful things um we're on holidays in fiji so i'm I'm going to mud baths that are mineral rich and i you know i mean at one point i even had a naturopath run an electrical current from my head through me through a water connection to create the current and out my feet and he's trying to eliminate microbes using electrical currents and i'm like this isn't like this is not the 1800s. This was only like 10 years ago. I'm lying there on beds having currents run through me trying to get to the, you know, solve this problem. But, right. but well, yeah, I mean, as, as, as much as we can, um, you know, be suspicious of Western medicine and its heroic toxicity, you know, that very often we turn people like us turn to alternatives when we're desperate. So there's a there's a lot of, of room in that inefficient marketplace for, for things that don't work or might be equally dangerous. 
Yeah, um, this wasn't dangerous. This, I just don't think, did much. But that's okay because at that point I was, you know, you, you're after hope, aren't you? You just want anything. You want to see, what you want to see is that something can give you some relief and then you want to double down on that. Well, nothing was giving me relief. And I went back to the rheumatologist after 12 months of trying my best and uh, I was atrocious. I had a, my fingers were all swollen. My chest was so painful I couldn't breathe without pain. My jaw meant that I had to eat each bite of food with pain and it was just miserable. I, my wife had to help me get up during the night so I could go and go to the go to the dunny as we as we call it um and uh yeah i mean it was miserable so he 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 got me started on that methotrexate uh and it increasingly required higher dosages to keep my symptoms low um and eventually i got to maximum dose of the drug and i was still worsening and uh and that's when my first kind of turning point this is when i remember like that I just had had enough. Like I was, my wife at the time, just my girlfriend, who's putting up with this miserable crippled dude. And she's from Orlando, Florida. So she's flown to Australia. We've fallen in, we fell in love. She flew to Australia. We're together for like a year before symptoms just start going down fast. And then we try and get by without the methotrexate. And all this time she's helping me. And uh, she used to come with me to every uh, appointment and she used to read all the books with me that we'd buy from Amazon and have sh show up in boxes of books of trying to work out this relationship between the pain and, and its cause. And, uh, you know, she's saying to the doctor, what other medications have we got and other way we could, you know, in the future maybe have children and stuff. And it was one of those moments like I, I was actually watching her. I remember looking at her instead of him and just thinking about this whole situation. I just thought this is this situation is now out of control and like we're hoping one day or i was hoping to propose to her and i said i can't do this to her i cannot be this person and then expect her to ever agree to one day marry me and um i still had some tools in the in the toolkit that i hadn't yet used in my mind and that was um i i studied very heavily at university before getting into stand-up so I I had these big accolades from when I had been through university. I had, you know, the highest thesis grade in the area of maths, physics, computer electronics that was ever issued for my honours thesis. I was Australian Institute of Physics Prize. I was given this piercing medal for my contributions to the industry because I developed this thing. I, I published a paper out of university that said, the simultaneous fabrication of multiple optical fiber brag gratings using frequency doubled copper vapor lasers, right? And uh, this thing had been published, and uh, and and at the mo at that time it was like a big deal. And so I thought to myself, you know what? I'm so caught up on trying to go down this comedy thing. I've just got to put it all on on hold. And I just got to get well because I can't even hold the damn mic stand and move the mic stand. So I just I just kept comedy at a minimum um, and I was I got into corporate gigs. So I found you can go and work and do a job for Microsoft for $3,000 as opposed to doing the same stand-up down the road at a comedy club for $200. And I thought, I'm just going to do the, the, the better paying jobs to, to enable me to pay my bills and all of my time is just going to be trying to work out. What the heck's going on? Yeah. So, so you got this diagnosis 
And it was based on some symptoms, but then they started, you know, galloping and getting worse and worse. When you met with the rheumatologist the first time, did you talk about like why you got it? What, what, what caused it or why you? No. Um, he be, well, if I did, it wasn't a memorable answer. But, um, you know, the standard answer is that there is no known cause. And I look forward in a few minutes to talking about exactly why I believe I got this condition. And that I think is fascinating and why other people get it. But no, at that time, I had no even comprehension or, or, or hunch as to why I might have gotten it. No one in my family had it. There's no predisposition in my family. I couldn't spell it. Or I didn't know anyone with it. Mm. Yeah. And so, so for dur- during that 12 months, I'm imagining it must have taken a toll on your, your comedy outlook. Like, were, did that become kind of a struggle? Like, you're going to go out there, you, you know, you, right? I don't know what you were like then, but now you're sort of very engaging, very sort of extroverted energy outward. Did uh, um, what? What did that? What did the pain and the the frustration do to your ability to to make people laugh? When I was on stage, I was okay because it is an act, right? So we 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 get into the zone, we jump on, and we go for it. I wasn't too bad when I was on stage, um, with the exception that uh, I was very tired from the methotrexate. It causes incredible fatigue. It's like a very very severe jet lag after a long flight and so i had that with me all the time and so i'd have to be more careful about my preparation for gigs i would have to uh, make sure maybe that i took a nap in the afternoon or that i got a good rest the night before and i was also doing a lot of bikram yoga at the time which is a 90 minute heated class that's very challenging and so i've got this methotrexate fatigue plus this bikram yoga fatigue to try and keep my symptoms down and so fatigue was was the biggest obstacle when it came to stand up, and it definitely put my career progress. Uh, it slowed my career progress because I wasn't writing jokes. You need to at least feel that there's some funny stuff going on in your life, or take a, a, a weird angle on things that you observe to be able to find those moments where you think there's something in that. You know, there's really there's a gem there, and I just need to explore it and mine it. But I didn't want to pick up a pen and try and write as soon as I woke up. I wanted to get straight into a green smoothie or or eat my, you know, buckwheat and quinoa or whatever it is, whatever stage I was at with my my food progression, just so that I could get some pain level down because mornings are the worst. With the morning stiffness, you wake up and all of the joints hurt. And so I just wasn't in a place where I could build new material and 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 feel like it even was a priority in my life. As long as I could pay the bills, I wanted to get back to work and keep studying the science about what caused this problem and how I can fix it. Mm. Did did you incorporate or think about incorporating your condition into the comedy? You know, a lot of a lot of people, you know, mine their own yeah. vulnerabilities. You know what? That's such a great question because. I have tried so many times to incorporate this into my comedy over the years because I thought, what what more unique material could you have than just getting up and talking about rheumatoid arthritis and stuff in a way that's funny and 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 self-deprecating? But I tell you what used to happen is I could <laughs> I could sense the audience feeling sorry for me, 
So instead of the audience buying and like, ah, yeah, you crazy guy with your big fat knee and you couldn't walk and you could barely get out of bed, instead the human sympathy kind of kind of state would kick in and I couldn't seem to circumvent that happening in the audience. So I used to try and bring in different angles of talking about it and I used to sort of sometimes like minimize it and say, I used to have this terrible condition and then I would talk and try and get the jokes. But I think subconsciously they could still see that there's a change in energy of me or something. And comedy is such a unique little beast that, that it just wasn't flying. Now when I give keynote presentations, during my story I'm able to draw upon moments and, and get some laughs out of some certain parts because that audience knows that I don't struggle with this condition mm -hmm. the way that I used to. You know, I have some damage now that I need to work around. I still go to yoga and the gym and keep myself you know, I, my body's like it's been in a car accident. And so I always need to watch those areas that have been smashed up, you know. Mm. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I'm still trying to work on that routine <laughs> that, uh, that that would enable me to kill for 20 minutes on stand-up. I'd like to get there. Mm. Well, I mean, what, what's occurring to me, and this is sort of taking things out of order, now, you know, you have a, a career in a business helping people around the world and – you're in, as we said earlier, you're in a field where there's a lot of dodgy stuff. There's a lot of quackery. And if you go on rheumatoid arthritis forums, one of the main things people talk about is, can I trust Clint Patterson? Can I trust this thing? Can I trust this supplement? Can I? And they all want to know, you know, is this another scammer? Because everybody's been scammed. And I, and I know I've, I've done a little bit of stand up at a very, very amateur level. But when, what I learned about it was the, the heart of it was empathy was sort of understanding other people's take and their pain. And then, you know, the hard part for me was sort of making it funny. But the core of it was if I'm telling a story about something that I want the other person to laugh at, I have to get on their wavelength and get kind of past their resistance. And I'm wondering if your comedy training and all those years of work make you better at connecting with people who are naturally going to be distrustful. Yes, and that's why the story is so important. Everyone, you know, you can't debate the story. And as we'll get to, as I, you know, take this a little further, if you'd like, in a minute and talk about how I recovered and what I did and so on, um, no one can argue with about that. No one can scam you if they're just telling a true story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then as for what's for sale beyond that point, what I do is is I just, I have a podcast like you. I have uh, 60 odd. In fact, I, don't, I think it might be 80 odd. I don't know, but I've, um, cause it depends. We change platforms and then a few dropped off, but I think there's 80 plus episodes that we have where I've covered every single, every aspect of what we have bundled in a perfect little treat for people to follow step by step. Every aspect of that is freely discussed online in those podcasts. If you just got the time, if you're, you know, just don't want to spend a cent ever on what, we can teach you um people can sit through and listen to all that content for free or read the transcriptions that i pay to have put online and uh um so what i try and do is look here's my story it's legitimate um you know blood tests confirm where my inflammation is at my walking abilities my chin-ups my push-ups my you name it you can see that i'm physically capable where i wasn't able to do things in the past um and uh, and here's all this endless free stuff. 
So, you know, I try to be uh, in, a, in an area where it's easy to be a target. I try to make it hard to hit me. Hmm. No, nothing like yeah. the truth. Huh? Yeah, nothing beats the truth. I mean, that, that's right. I mean, we're not, what we're trying to ultimately do is to educate people and help people. And the only reason that I have a small price tag on anything that I do is so that I can be able to allocate uh, an hour at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday morning and talk to you. Because otherwise, I'd have to go out, get a job, or I'd be interstate somewhere doing some crappy little comedy club for a few hundred bucks here in the States. Because, um, you know, and I think it's just more purposeful and more meaningful and more of a contribution and more of a calling for me to spread this message which can affect people's lives more than a half hour of laughs you know because there's so many people who are good at making people laugh but there's not so many people who have a story like mine and now a way of articulating it and sharing it i think if i'm allowed to say that um as what i'm what i'm currently doing with this disease right all right so let's uh Let's not tease people. <laughs> so, <laughs> what did what did you do? It sounds like you you did all sorts of um, sort of whatever crossed your path in, in early the the herbal stuff, the the mud baths, the uh, the, yeah. the microbe electricity. Uh, it sounds like you you weren't operating at that point from a theoretical understanding of the disease. No, no, I didn't. And uh, let me add to that. In fact, that I was just hopeless and so naive about health um you know i was your absolute boxed mentality of we got to eat meat for protein um salad sucks um some steamed or roasted vegetables are good and occasional fast foods all right as long as you don't have it that much mm. and that was my that was me that was that was me and all my friends um, so if we all got together to watch a football match or something, it would be, you know, big barbecue meat lovers pizzas and Coca-Cola. Um, and then uh, if I was by myself uh, during the day, I'd go out and have like uh, chicken and vegetables as, as lunch at the local cafe. And I never cooked. And I, when I mean never, I mean I couldn't cook at all. And so every meal for me was, was, was eating out. Um, now, so what happened was, um, I was trying all these different things and then I had the big breakthrough and my big breakthrough was I got food poisoning from eating. So I was in Australia we're on a long drive from visiting my family who live in the like quintessential outback. Okay. So they're out, there's roos on their property. Um, you know, they grow wheat and, and oats and they have cattle and sheep. I mean, you couldn't have more of the farm upbringing that I had. And we were out visiting them a long drive and um, I was really hungry and we stopped. And where we stopped, there wasn't much to pick from. So I just went into a supermarket and there were cherries that had been imported from here, from the US. And they'd been sit they were sitting on the on the on the aisle there to uh, to bag up and to weigh and so on. And I just grabbed a whole bunch, put them in a bag, and uh, we bought them and then I went out and I ate them in my car on continued the drive. Because we'd heard, you know, cherries could be good for arthritis. You know, I'm still at that level of understanding. And uh, I didn't wash the cherries, so they were imported, unwashed, and my hands weren't washed. And uh, I got massive food poisoning from uh, eating those cherries. So, you know, it was like dum 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 like that. And then about two hours later, it was like dum 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 dum. And uh, it was it was coming out both ends, uh, ferocious purging for 24 hours. 
Um, and I was worried, not about, you know, what was going on with regards to the purging, but how my joints were going to be after 24 hours because I'd found that if I stopped moving my body frequently, that my joints got worse. Is this sort of, it's a locking up kind of effect that, that would happen. And so the classic example is the morning stiffness. You know, you lie there still like a dead body for, for eight hours and then you wake up and you can barely move. And it's to a smaller extent happening all the time. So every time the body would not move for a while, I'd get some stiffness. And so I thought after 24 hours lying around in bed just with short trips to the bathroom, I'm going to be all locked up like the Tin Man. But unbelievable. Like I just, I, to this day, I remember the my the incredulousness of this, but I just watched this rapid, rapid reduction in symptoms throughout that 24 hour period. So that at the end of the 24 hours, I was like 90% back to where I used to be in just 24 hours. And so that's when my, that's when I started to have this conviction that something can be done about this because finally I saw something that can influence the disease and I just thought well what, what can I do without having to vomit and diarrhea for the rest of my life and um and so I repeated the fast about a couple a couple of weeks later I just didn't eat for three days and sure enough symptoms went away so I repeated the experiment successfully and proved that if I don't eat what the symptoms disappear mm. And so I, then I started looking at the scientific literature. This is when I began my, put on my science cap, yeah, and I, I went back to my science roots, which is where I, you know, was skillful back in the day. And so, so uh, I think it's a good point to, um, to sort of stop and explain the, the rudiments of, of uh, the disease itself. You know, okay. at least, at so, least yeah. sort of like what, what, what your experience of it was and what the, the mainstream scientific understanding of the mechanisms were, just, just so we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, in terms of what mainstream believe about what causes the disease and so on, um, let me tell you what's agreed. This is what's agreed is that the body's immune system is attacking the synovial tissue and potentially the cartilage and ligaments all around the joint. So what we've got here is a disease that's as aggressive and as, as, as menacing as something like multiple sclerosis. In fact, one doctor told me that of all the diseases he would not want to get, rheumatoid arthritis would be at the top of his list. Mm. Okay, so like he's a doctor, not a motivational coach, but um, <laughs> that, that's the extent. <laughs> that's the extent of how bad the disease can be. And the average life expectancy of someone with rheumatoid is at least 13 years shorter than someone without the condition. And I have my own views, uh, you know, as to why that is, because the disease itself doesn't kill you, but the lack of activity um, in your life because it hurts to move and also the medications that you get put on uh, all have extremely long lists of potential side effects, including death on some of those. So, um, so what we're talking about is an aggressive disease attacking the joints. Um, the mechanisms of what's actually going on, now we're going into Clint's world, right? You don't hear a lot of what's going on like I'm about to describe outside of here. Um, at least, um, you know, there it's becoming more, more described in this manner, um, but you don't hear this within medical professional community. So you wouldn't hear your rheumatologist say what I'm about to say. 
Um, but I've got a guide for rheumatologists to educate them, which is over 200 scientific studies, which supports everything that I'm about to say that's available on my website. It's just our website address forward slash guide, G-U-I-D-E, and it's available and, for free. And for people uh, with short attention spans, what's, what's the uh, website yeah. address? It's pattersonprogram.com, and it's double D as in bra, I-S-O-N, uh, double D as in bra size, uh, oh, P-A-double-D-I-S-O-N. Okay. <laughs> I was like, bra, B-R-A, there's no D. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I see what you're saying. Pattersonprogram.com right, right. slash guide with, with a That's it. 200 plus uh, peer-reviewed referenced articles that expl explain what's going on. Yes, yes, because with every intricacy of how I describe this, uh, I have a reference to show that that, you know, that is uh, backed up scientifically. So um, now I'll fly through this because um, uh, it can occupy a large portion of my presentations, but I'll, I'll keep it punchy. So the way that I taught myself to remember this, it's handy for others as well trying to remember this, is what's going on with rheumatoid arthritis digestively is the acronym BLAME. Uh, I wasn't able to get it so perfectly neat and satisfying that it was just one A. I had to add another A as if I lived in northern Australia, so instead of blame, it's blame like that. Um, so um, it stands for bacterial overgrowth. So people with rheumatoid arthritis have a bacterial overgrowth. Uh, and again, all the studies for this, I won't say there's a study that's a, it's all there in the guide if people want to reference what I'm about to say. But we have a bacterial overgrowth. So people with rheumatoid, they have low levels of healthy bacteria like uh, lactobacillus, acidophilus, and bifidobacteria range. And they have bacterial overgrowth, often small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, but also in their colon. So more pathogenic bacteria. So we've got this, we've got a bad microbiome, basically. Next, we have leaky gut. What's going on is that particles from the uh, lumen inside the digestive system are going into our bloodstream uh, incompletely digested. So they're not being broken down sufficiently. And if we see a protein going into our bloodstream, the body can treat a whole protein uh, as a foreign particle that's floating around the bloodstream where we're only meant to have safe and usable amino acids. And so the body can develop an immune response to a protein in its blood it's very dangerous when that can occur because those proteins can look similar to some of the proteins in our own tissues. Uh, and in the case of rheumatoid arthritis, those proteins that make up the tissues of our synovial lining. And so the body can then attack these proteins in the blood to get rid of them, but then say, hey, they also exist here in the fingers and the, and the knee and, and the ankles and so on. And it can develop this massive cascade, which is not possible to stop. Uh, which enters this whole world of this cure thing. So I don't buy into the it can be cured. Um, my whole philosophy is we can completely and confidently control the mechanisms and the amount of symptoms that we get if we have radically changed our lifestyle and, and, and done some care with our drug management. But let me resume the blame. So we've got bacterial overgrowth, leaky gut, We've got a state of acidosis where we've consumed too many uh, processed foods and unhelpful foods, high protein foods, which cause the body to uh, uh, lower its pH or become more acidic. Um, and we've got uh, the second A is for uh, 
acid deficiency in the stomach. So low stomach acid, low hydrochloric acid to break down our, our food, particularly proteins, which are the ones that are causing our immune response when they get into the into the bloodstream. And then finally, M is for mucosal lining depletion. Uh, the mucosal lining is where we house most of our bacteria inside our colon. So they need to, they don't just float around in the middle. Uh, they all exist in the mucus that's inside our colon. And there is a, um, a battle for real estate in there between the good guys and the bad guys. Uh, but if we don't have much mucus there at all, there's not much space for any bacteria. And uh, and people with rheumatoid arthritis have been shown to have those conditions, in some cases not even have an epithelium. So there's some serious issues going on uh, in the digestive system. And then finally, a lack of digestive enzymes, pancreatic enzymes to break down foods in parallel with the hydrochloric acid. So what this all builds to is a very depleted digestive system and and then to dovetail this into what we were speaking about earlier when i didn't eat what this meant was there were no proteins that were moving through my intestinal wall and into my bloodstream and when this stopped then the body said hey there's nothing there to attack in the blood we can calm down. And so it stopped its cross reactivity. But then when I would eat again, because there's all these little pinholes inside my my garden hose, the water or the, the food particles leak straight back out again into my bloodstream and immune system said, oh, here we go again. Let's get back to what we were doing, which is attacking the heck out of Clint's body. So is the blame uh, paradigm sort of sequential? Like it's, it no. starts with, or do they just all sort of... Yeah, there could be any aspect of that and or all aspect of that going on. So, for instance, um, you know, some people just by eliminating dairy products can get tremendous relief from their rheumatoid arthritis symptoms. And so in that that person's case, it might have just been that their body was only having problems with casein or other dairy proteins that were entering the blood and that that was pretty much the the fundamental problem with their um, with their dietary patterns leading to the disease, and then there are other people who even when fasting still have some symptoms, and the reason for that is that the body is also reacting to the proteins in the lining of the pathogenic bacteria that is traversing the gut wall from the colon and they are the hardest they're about one in 20 so so we talk about people when they fast with rheumatoid 19 out of 20 get tremendous relief and then one in 20 still have this ongoing level of inflammation and that's because the body's still reacting to proteins in the blood but not the food although they would they are still reacting to the proteins in the bacteria. And so that's I have a, a, a protocol for how to deal with that. But, um, yeah, that's a, that's the challenge. Okay. So, so one thing I'm a little unclear about is with this idea of um, mimicry, where the body yeah. looks at the proteins from the food that you're eating that's gotten through the leaky gut where it's not supposed to be, and it says, oh, that looks just like synovial protein, so... Clearly, this is all foreign to us. But if, if you then stop the intake of protein, 
how does your body not continue to attack the synovial protein? Because it's, it's got this search image of this is bad. Like, do you have to train it that it's not bad anymore? Or does it just calm down on its own? No, and it's a great point. You can never untrain it. It's a permanently cross-wired mechanism. So if I was to go and eat cheese pizzas for the next two weeks, KFC and McDonald's, I believe that I can get symptoms back again. And it's an experiment that I don't want to do and I don't want to find out the result mm. because I've put in so much work to try and create a robust digestive system where the, the spaces that exist for particles to move between and through my digestive wall and into my blood are now so low that it's preventing these incompletely digestive proteins to enter. However, you know, as I said, I believe I could recreate this if I wanted to go ahead and try and prove my hypothesis or something, but not to the extent that I want to do that. Um, and so I believe that forever, if I were to get some of these proteins into my blood, my body would trigger again and go off and go and attack those. And at the same time, I would have some crossfire in my own joints. But if you don't have those proteins in the blood in the form of food or bacterial lining proteins, the body does stop. So this is sort of like someone who uh, had their house broken into and now they're all paranoid and they've got their gun under their pillow and their girlfriend walks in and they wake up and shoot her, right? As, as, long as, as long as nobody else comes into your house, you can still have that false search image of danger, but it doesn't get triggered anymore. That's exactly right. Yeah, you've, you've, you've explained it well. So um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to um, create a watertight pipe. We want a hose that hoses the garden that has no little pinpricks in it so that the water goes through nicely without them spraying out the side. Mm. So what I've gotten from you so far is the way to do this is to stop eating, right? <laughs> now, since, the, since, since you've been doing this for a decade, I, I yeah. assume you've refined the protocol. Yeah, I have a little fat on my face, which would indicate that I do eat some food. Um, so what it and this is a false false trap that some of my clients like to jump into. They see the results that they can get from fasting and they say, well, why don't I just fast once a week or once a month or whatever? And in fact, Barbara Allen, who wrote a book called Conquering Arthritis, who um, I consulted with many years ago when I'm looking for help and she, she was helpful with me, um, she talks about how she helped herself to recover by doing over 12 months of intermittent fasting, constantly stopping her, her food intake for, for a few days. Um, the problem with that is that you run out of fat, you run out of body mass, and you become too thin. Um, and also, although the studies do show that it does help heal leaky gut, my experience personally, and also taking a, a uh, uh, some having some you know green juice discussions with people who administer these things at their health clinics. The pain nearly always comes back at the end, even if we're doing 12, 15, 20-day water fasts. And so that wasn't good enough for me. And it also didn't, it didn't also feed my curiosity that the solution here is to restore gut health via prioritizing feeding our 100 trillion little bacteria. 
I wanted to feed the good guys and let them breed. And so I thought, what do they want to eat? And it turns out they want to eat leafy greens. They want to eat baby spinach. They want to eat bok choy, romaine lettuce. They want leafy greens. And they also like resistant starch. So if we can feed them these two forms of food, which can only be found in plant foods, then we might be able to get them breeding again and uh, let them uh, expand their, their numbers. And so I went about it. I went green. I went like... I went on a raw food vegan diet for eight months, uh, very chimpanzee-like. I was uh, eating nuts and seeds and uh, lots of fruit and and leafy greens, um, and it got rid of a ton of pain. Um, but I lost a lot of weight, and um, and at the end of that eight months, I uh, I needed to try something different, and so I ate quinoa for the first time after failing in terms of pain failing it from an inflammation point of view eight months earlier. So in that eight months on a raw food vegan diet, I was able to uh, then actually tolerate some simple cooked foods. And I introduced that and buckwheat um, and lived off that for several more months before shifting onto some some rice and potatoes and, and, and other things. So it was a slow evolution that was much more filled with mistakes and um and diversions from what I needed to be doing so that now when I teach people how to do this, they only get the things that work and not the things that don't. And they also can bypass the raw foods, which I don't recommend people do because uh, it's frankly too dangerous. And I just don't want to be worried about someone who's 75 eating nuts and seeds and a bit of salad every day because of their levels of frailness and their, their body weight. Mm. So when you were going through this, I guess you, you still didn't have a, an underlying principle, right? Like, oh, I know, like what made you decide that quinoa was the first thing you were going to add back in, for example? I read, I read a book from, written by, the, it's called The Enzyme Factor by Hiromi Shinya. He's a gastroenterologist based out of the Einstein Clinic in New York. He was the first to develop a tool to be able to remove polyps without doing surgery. Um, fascinating Japanese-born, um, you know, dual citizen of America and Japan towards the end of his career now. Um, his book was fascinating in that he pretty much, his whole focus in life was to help people who had been through his surgeries to never have to come back. And he said that he didn't want to have to work on them twice. And he found that if he sent them off and gave them a plant-based diet, and pre predominantly focused their intake on grains. And his grains that he recommended for absolute maximum colonic health was quinoa, buckwheat, millet, and brown rice. Okay, so that's his, that's his four, that's his fabulous four. And he said that he'd never had someone with a relapse come back to him after having colonic cancer. So he'd never had to operate a, a cancer patient twice when he sent them off as long as they did that. And he would have them agree that the only way he would work with them is if they would follow this dietary principle afterwards. He's looked inside of 320,000 colons. He said he's never seen a healthy colon from someone who consumes dairy products on a regular basis. Hmm. Okay, so I found this guy fascinating, and and after you know my eight months of raw and really just desperate for a change, and just the timing of that book, 
I thought, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to hit the uh, hit the quinoa and buckwheat just like Dr. Shinya says and see if it works for me. And to my great relief, it did not add pain at the end of that raw food. It, my pain stayed the same. And so I said, okay, that's it for raw. I can now upgrade to cooked foods, which made me help me put a bit of weight back on, gave me more energy and just more satisfying. You know, I just enjoyed the sense of something warm in my mouth. Now, but if you, do you still have, or do, you know, do people who follow your protocol after for a while still have the pinpricks, the leaky gut, or does do the good bacteria kind of seal that back up? It's hard to seal completely. It's very, very hard. The results over time are asymptotic, like an asymptotic curve, so that you get great results quickly. And in fact, I commonly see people halve their pain in two weeks. That's a good rule of thumb. If you can halve your pain in two weeks, you, 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 you pretty much, you know, hitting the mark. Um, after that, you know, you might halve your pain from that point in the next month and so on. And, and so it, it, it's a case of diminishing returns as the amount of pain drops. So too is the amount that you get rid of it each month. To the point where we get to a point where I had this simmering effect of, of pain in my joints. It seemed to simmer like a very, like just the embers of a fire for like a year and a half after I'd gotten rid of all of the bulk stuff, the big debilitating, can't sleep at night because my elbows are so painful mm. kind of levels. Um, and so trying to... It, you know, trying to get it to absolute zero whilst at the same time getting very excited that now you can eat potatoes and bread and pasta and all that. You've got these conflicting um, desires. One is absolute zero pain and the other is a normal lifestyle again. And so, um, you know, it's finding that balance for everyone. And the trick is that people continue to expand their diet to like mine is now, which is a completely diverse whole foods plant-based diet um, and as they continue to expand their foods know that at any time if you've pushed it a bit too far with the uh, the enjoyable foods and new things just to just to go back to what I call baseline just for one or two days which is the the basic foods like the Dr. Shinya foods the buckwheat and quinoa some sweet potato and lots of leafy greens and that is eliminating the pain bathwater gets rid of it within a day or so and then you can get back exactly where you were and just that cleansing effect of those basic foods uh, seems to you know reset your clock on the inflammation buildup that's a great way of of um, knowing that you've got that security at any time if your pain starts to bump back up a bit mm. so it's almost I, I can imagine like people who don't have rheumatoid arthritis going oh that's really useful to Oh, to yeah. have a, uh, like, a, yeah. a negative feedback mechanism that's almost as quick as the positive feedback mechanism of some sweet piece of junk. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the inflammation in the joints is just an alarm going off. And so it's just a, it's a loud alarm that goes off. And uh, when you hear the alarm, you say, okay, well, what do I need to do? Got to empty the pain bath water. I got to reset back to baseline foods for 24 hours and then I'll feel fine again. Um, and yeah, it's good for anybody. I mean, if anyone has a situation where they just have some bloating or some problem, any kind of like persistent health issues, take a leaf out of uh, the Shinya guidelines for eating. And if you just 
if you just eat brown rice and with some miso paste and a little bit of seaweed for flavoring instead of salt and have some uh, sweet potato with that and some buckwheat and quinoa that can cook in the same rice cooker because they cook at the same time. And, and if you just eat that for three meals with a ton of leafy greens, it's hard not to see how symptoms are going to abate over that 24-hour period. It's pretty remarkable, in fact. Mm. Okay. So you, you found that the first time you went 24 hours, you didn't have those proteins in your body and they didn't trigger the inflammation. Plants, as we know, are full of protein too. What's the difference with you know, your current understanding between whole food plant protein and animal protein, dairy protein, or um, you know, proce- highly processed foods. What? And maybe it's two different yeah. questions. Maybe the protein and the processed foods are, are are different. The processed foods is easy. We can move out of the way quickly because processed foods, obviously, we're not feeding our fiber. We're not feeding our bacteria at all. There's no fiber, so we're getting that satiation in terms of having some calories. But we've just starved our entire microbiome. There's nothing's gotten to them. So the way to think about this is think about your microbiome, or think about your the gut bacteria that you're trying to feed as being a par five on a golf course. And if you pull out some processed foods and eat it, you've just hit a pitching wedge off the tee, and you haven't gotten anywhere close to the green. Okay, because you've got to go through 22 feet of distance to be able to get to them. But the processed foods get burnt off immediately just in your upper intestine. Okay, so we need to pull out the driver and belt the heck out of it and get it all the way down to the colon. And that'll happen if you eat foods rich in fiber. They hit they land on the green and will feed your microbes. So that's the problem with with processed foods. Um, Now. The question about plant proteins versus animal proteins, it's, it, I, there are obviously differences in the um, amount of acidifying effect that the, the animal protein will have on the body. But I do believe that even plant proteins are problematic until we can have this closure or sealing of the, the gut wall. Now, more problematic throughout the meat and dairy eating phases is actually the fact that they're rich in fat. And this is a sort of, I'm introducing something new here, but the underlying problem with meat, dairy, and oils, vegetable oils, uh, which are the three enemies, the three greatest enemies for trying to heal RA, is the fat content above all else because the fat content actually increases leaky gut. Again, refer to my guide for rheumatologists here. So we have temporary increase in gut leakiness in the presence of dietary fat. So when this happens, it's then that the proteins can get more efficiently into the bloodstream and cause the problems. So when we're eating plant foods, unless we're eating avocados and olives, um, then almost all plant foods are lower in fat than the animal foods and so we're therefore not causing more additional leaky gut whilst the food's moving through the body and so less proteins enter the blood and less symptoms occur mm. so so it really is a, it's a you're, you're mentioning sort of fats and protein separately but it's a it's a holistic mechanism where you, you know you exactly. need burglars and crowbars and without without either <laughs> one of them your house is safe 
<laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And so what's the connection between the healthy gut bacteria and the leakiness? Uh, so the gut bacteria have been shown to excrete a substance that helps restore the integrity of the gut lining. Or in simpler terms, the bacteria kind of pee out a substance that seals the gut. And if we have enough of the bacteria that do that process, then we're going to see a restoration of our gut wall. And it's your famous classic guys. It's your lactobacillus range that do this. And uh, we just want to, you know, we're not trying to be ultra scientific and nerdy about this when we look at our bacterial strains from the local CVS, if we want to buy our probiotics there or from the local health food store. Uh, you know, we, we're, we want to hit the most famous guys and we also want to aim for our diversity by eating lots of different plant foods and we'll get the job done. You know, the main thing is doing it. It's easy to, to intellectualize this whole concept. But, um, you know, if I, if, if I take 20 people and I put them on our baseline part of our program, okay, and I send them off to Bikram yoga every day to do an hour and a half of exercise so they actually eliminate their lymphatic waste because they are actually out there moving and they're stimulating their, uh, you know, um, their um, lymphatic system in that way. Detoxification through the sweat, deep breathing, enabling their, uh, uh, you know, energy to, to improve. Um, you know, you'll have 20 people at the end of a week or two weeks who are completely different than at the start. This isn't like, uh, there's not many exceptions to that rule. Wow. And so uh, is it Bikram yoga in particular because of the heat or the, or the sequence or the time? Or would you say any sort of movement is, is going to be helpful? Yeah. All movement is helpful if it doesn't cause that joint that you moved more pain the next mm. day. So the misconception with rheumatoid is that you shouldn't move too much, but on the contrary, you've got to move as much as possible and you've got to strengthen those delicate connective tissues between your, you know, particularly your knees and your elbows, which um, become caught up in the inflammation process. Uh, Bikram's particularly wonderful because it's the same set of postures every time. And so the benefit of this is that you get to... Um, you get to know which ones are a bit dodgy and which ones are fine. And you're not guessing every day based on the whim of the teacher that you have as to what postures you're going to be doing, which when you've got lots of joint problems can introduce uh, a whole level of, of panic because you don't, you can't do that. You can't do that. That one hurts my wrist. That one hurts my knee. Uh, oh, not this again. Can't keep up. Okay. I'm going to lie on the floor, but at Bikram, you know, what's coming, you know what you did last time and you can see your improvements or you can skip postures that aren't quite working. So a, a large part of it is the fact that it's repeatable and predictable. It's God's gift to rheumatoid arthritis is the Bikram format. So not just hot yoga, um, which is helpful if you don't have a Bikram near you, um, but it just means you're going to be have to be playing a lot of um, you got to be on your game to make sure that you don't do too much of postures that can hurt you at the other ones. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And, um, you know, we, we mentioned that the, that rheumatoid arthritis is part of a class of autoimmune, uh, conditions. 
And most people who have one autoimmune disease go on to develop multiple. So I'm imagining that this is applicable to, you know, Hashimoto's, type yeah. 1 diabetes, like pretty, pretty much all uh, lupus, all, all of the, all of the, the various constellations, depending on your, your genetics and your background, where it happens to attack. Have you worked with people or do you see, you know, other autoimmune uh, conditions get better, resolve with, uh, with your protocols? Yes, absolutely. Um, now, classic examples are lupus, ankylosing spondylitis, um, fibromyalgia, and sciatic arthritis. So those four, all I've got wonderful stories and case studies of people who've used our rheumatoid program and have done very well for themselves. Um, and many have shared their story on our podcast. Um, if people are interested, uh, they can listen to those. And what's um, the, is now, that also pattisonprogram.com slash podcast? Um, it, I actually have it under slash blog. Slash blog. Okay, great. Yeah, and they can find it on iTunes just by typing into Google uh, Patterson Podcast, and that'll come up to the, to the top of the search results there, and they can uh, listen to that. Um, when it comes to the diabetes side of things, you know, I think that, you and I both appreciate that when you shift to a whole food, low-fat, plant-based diet, uh, a lot of type 2 diabetic, diabetic problems tend to resolve or at least can improve a lot. And people who are really dialing that in and making it very low-fat and targeting um, uh, their improvements with, uh, with type 2 can often have dramatic results and full recoveries. Um, the type one, um, I haven't had any clients that I can hold up like a poster and say, hey, this person uh, has these results and so on. Um, and in fact, I just defer them all to Mastering Diabetes, our friends, uh, Cyrus and Robbie, uh, who, who run that organization, because those two gentlemen who both have type one, uh, for mine, are better es experts to handle. I just handle had that. them on last week. Oh, awesome. Great. Great. Great guys. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, li leave us with a, um, a to-do, right? For someone, someone so listening to this with, with RA or one of the other autoimmune diseases that responds well, is there, you know, do you have like a, a breakfast or a protocol or something that people can get started with while, while they go check out your website, your podcast and your program? Yeah. So the so what we want to do is keep it low fat. So we want to go low fat definitely as a as a broad statement. Now this will mean first and foremost stop the vegetable oils. We've got to get those vegetable oils out of the diet. Uh, if you're putting oil on your salad, um, stop it. <laughs> um, and eating leafy greens needs to be a priority. Now, it seems to be, there seems to be a conflict of interest there because some people think that they love salad, but turns out they just love oil. <laughs> All right. So what we need to do is we need to develop a, uh, a, a, um, an ability to use some other things, maybe some chopped up raw onion or maybe some lemon juice or um, uh, something that's not as high in fat and problematic as the oils on our salads. I just eat it straight out of the pre-washed mixed leaf containers that you can buy at your local supermarket. I've been doing that. I was doing that at our on our. We had our meeting with our wedding uh, planner in Hawaii, uh, going back six years, 
And I'll never forget the look on her face as they're planning the, the vegan wedding cake and all that. And I'm just sitting there and I just sat and I just ate like potato chips, an entire bag of mixed leafy greens. And at the end of it, she actually had to stop and say to me, excuse me, what are you doing? Like she was so never seen anything like it. And there's a good story. I'm, I, I, you know, it's, it's got a happy ending, this story, actually. So I explained why and why we were having a vegan wedding cake and my health condition, everything. Now, uh, she, you know, would probably be forthcoming to agree that she was a little large. Um, she, uh, you know, had, um, you know, a little bit more weight uh, on her body. And um, she's, she's since after we met her, and I guess we might have been one of the straws of the camel's back, she went vegan, and now she's trim and terrific and runs vegan wedding planning, <laughs> cake catering. Uh, so it's just a fabulous story, and she's just um, uh, been great to con- – we still stayed in contact with her. So that was, that's, a, that's a good story. So we've got to get the greens up, um, learn to just develop a, a, an enjoyment, just a snack on them uh, either at your meal, put them in your meal, lots of leafy greens, low fat, and um, – we want to treat this whole project, treat this whole problem as a project. It's easy to get so emotionally caught up that we're the victim, that we have like the world's collapsed and my life sucks because I've got this disease that's completely unforgiving and it always disappoints. Just when you think you're making progress, it just shows up again and you just get so mad. And so what I did is I decided I'm going to treat it like a project. You know, you know, the kids do art projects at school or we might be working on some kind of work project and it always it's very black and white and it's very um, milestone driven. And so my whole approach is let's set milestones. Let's treat it like a project. The first thing we want to do is get four consecutive days of the same pain. So we exhibit a little bit of control over this condition and we do that with the same food, same exercise, same stress levels, same uh, supplements. And we show that, you know what? This isn't random. These flares that we're getting, they're predictably reactions to things that we're doing. And then after that, we look at trying to minimize the gut-damaging drugs like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and prednisone. These are discretionarily given by the rheumatologist and you take them as needed. So if we can get them out of the, out of the, out of the protocol, we are then not trying to fight a battle with two hands tied behind our back because they're so deleterious to the gut. And so these are part of a strategy that we want to set up. So if people are doing this, want to do this on their own, we set some goals. Where do you want to be in two months, three months? What, where are you looking for in six months time? It's probably a good time frame, and start working towards it. Start documenting what they're eating each day and look for trends um, and just be really um, scientific and um, and pragmatic about the whole thing. Rather than feeling helpless, start to feel that you are in control. And I always use the metaphor that rheumatoid is like having a wild animal as a pet. So as long as we get to know it and we pay close attention to its behavior and we understand it, then we can live with it in harmony. But if we make one mistake or we get complacent with the wild animal, it'll turn on us and tear us to bits. That's a great metaphor. Um, and I guess with, with that, I'm curious, like, 
it's a you know it's a silly question, but are you glad that you have it? Oh, you know, up until today, like every other time I've been asked that question or thought about that myself, I've responded that I would selfishly say I'd prefer that I didn't have it and I'd prefer that I had not learnt all of this and that I prefer not to have shared any of it and just to have had a pain-free existence over the last 11 years and um, achieved maybe more with my entertainment career and so on. But it's funny, you know, like the balance is definitely shifting and, you know, it just, I love doing things like this on with you here on your show. I love talking about this and feeling that something I may have said may be helping other people. And, um, and I do believe that it is the truth. And, you know, we talked about that before. This is the truth we're talking about and that matters. And there is so much garbage online and there are so many distractions from the truth that, um, I, you know, I'm starting the pendulum starting to shift and maybe it is a better thing. Maybe I wouldn't say I'm glad that's the wrong word. I would say that I accept my duty and that if God has given me this cross to bear and said, look, you've spent you spent all those years working out how to, to speak confidently in on platforms. And I've given you a great brain that can learn and retain information and share it. Um all of the stuff at university and the stand-up was just leading you up to then I was going to dump this big problem on you and I want you to then work out how to help yourself so you can help others. So, look, Howard, maybe, man, that's that's maybe a bigger calling. I'm also thinking, um, not, you know, not not to minimize the the depth of the answer you gave me, but, but um, if you hadn't had RA and you'd continued living and eating the way you had, you're 41 now, um, 42. Yeah, I mean, it was going to end up in something else. I was always going to get something, wasn't I? You can't just, there, there. you can't dodge the consequences of eating a Western lifestyle. You know, whether it shows up as one of the other conditions we mentioned earlier, the other autoimmune conditions, or maybe it would have showed up with high blood pressure or high cholesterol leading to a, something even more, something fatal. Um or whether it would have been just ongoing digestive issues for the rest of my life, which I may have would have then, um, you know, brought up my children poorly as well. And it, who knows what the knock on effect would be. But before I forget, uh, let me tell you that it was because I took antibiotics for five consecutive years as a teenager that my stomach problems began after that. Uh, and so I have a history in my teenage years of five consecutive years of doxycycline. And after doing that, I had digestive issues throughout my 20s. Um, and uh, ultimately, with then some injections that I took before I went to Iraq to entertain the troops over in the Middle East, the um, Western, uh, Western troops, uh, I had to take the injections and more antibiotics and within a month or two of getting back from the the call of duty, I uh, I started rheumatoid. So, you know, we talk about how I went to all this effort to try and restore healthy gut bacteria. Um, it all went the opposite direction in my early years with uh, with antibiotics. So that was the cause of my situation, I mm. believe. So so essentially, that was a uh, a prolonged period of sort of carpet bombing. 
your gut <laughs> yeah. and the things that were able to survive it were were, were the noxious ones. I don't know if anything survived it, to be honest. And then after that, I kept feeding it with things that would probably then allow the, the noxious ones to thrive. Um, and, um, you know, I think that if I had have started a plant-based diet, even in my 20s, I probably would have avoided a con a, the consequences of rheumatoid arthritis. Or if I'd have just eaten a lot more salad and even just found more of a really a more of a balanced lifestyle. I think it took a lot to get it to where my immune system just shut down like that, particularly at 31, you know, something severe has to be at mm. play. Yeah. Somehow as you, as you tell that story, I'm globalizing it to our planet. Like I'm, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, sort of, you know, micro macro, uh, self similarities between like, you know, when, when we, destroy an ecosystem to the point that it can never get back to the way it was, we have to, we have to try yeah. to mitigate and get it as healthy as, as we can. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I use that metaphor, like I'm writing a book now to go on Amazon and I've used that metaphor in the book, which is that we think you can think of the microbiome as the quintessential Amazon rainforest. So we're meant to have this lush diversity of green where we've got all these different plants and a can of beautiful canopy of protection that protects the animals, which are the birds, the monkeys and uh, all of the insects and so on. And then antibiotics are like bulldozers, just cr just crushing the entire ecosystem, killing all of that natural life that's there. And all of the animals that thrive in there also end up perishing. And so then what we're trying to do, if someone's been in this situation or has this digestive situation, is then we're trying to very slowly plant new plants that take a long time to be nurtured and receive water and grow before they can then be able to um, house life and have monkeys grow on them and birds return. And that's why it just takes so much time. This process is slow because we have destroyed an ecosystem, whether catastrophically with the bulldozers of antibiotics for a long time or just slowly through lack of nurturing that, that ecosystem. And it just takes time to restore that to balance. And, um, um, you know, it's, it's always a, a, a year plus in this for, for trying to get really healthy with this condition. Uh, when's your book going to be out? Well, it depends how much I look after the kids. I'm always helping out with the kids. You know, we're here with just my wife and I with the kids and she's pregnant. We've got, uh, we've got two girls at the moment. We've got Angelina. Um, and she's the oldest and we named her, uh, she, her name is little angel and, uh, we've got Ariel and, uh, we named her after a font. <laughs> um, so we, we've got those two and we've got a little boy coming on, uh, which I'm excited about. He's due on the 13th of July. And so I'm just not sure, um, you know, how much I'll be working with the family and, and how much help we're going to get. But look, I'm trying to get it published as quick as I can, uh, particularly our demographic. Uh, you know, typically, um, you know, a lot of people are busy. They, they just want, they, the, the book is just easier than um, working through, uh, you know, a lot of online content and training videos. So I'd hope to say uh, three or four months. It's certainly in draft form. I just need to finesse it and have it proofread and so on. All right. Well, I, I look forward to uh, 
to getting a copy and uh, and sharing it. And in the meantime, until the book comes out, you do have a tremendous online presence. Um, could you re yeah. repeat where people should go to find you? Yeah. So um, just go to pattersonprogram.com. That's P-A-D-D as in dog, I-S-O-N, program.com. As I said earlier on, tons of free stuff on our site. Listen to the podcast. Just do it. Just listen like you listen to Howard's podcast. Um, if you if if your appetite for his episodes is greater than his supply, <laughs> uh, then you can listen to ours and and learn about uh, uh, you know reversing uh, chronic disease with a plant based diet. Uh, down, jump on our mailing list. A sequential training for free on our mailing list as well. So, if people want to do our program, it's available there under the product section. Great. Are you on social media as well? Yeah, I, you know, I only just set up an Instagram account about six months ago. So, um, but but we um, we have Patterson Program on Instagram, and I'm also Clint Patterson on Instagram. I'm moving away from Facebook. I'm just not enjoying it as much. So, I'm finding just. I get I don't know what it is and I'm not sure if you've had the same experience but I just find it I'm just a bit over it. What are your thoughts on oh, it? Oh no, I I love um you know political operatives manipulating me through I can't I can't get enough of that stuff. You know, I was just talking about that with, so with my true. wife this morning. It's like well, if we if we could create another Facebook that didn't have all the problems like no, still nobody would switch because there's the, the shipping, the switching costs are too high, right? Like here I am. Where's everybody else? The... Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun being on your own on your new, new book, you know? Yeah. So, um, oh, it's crazy, isn't it? And, uh, I've been watching a lot of the, um, uh, you know, those caricatures and stuff that Jim Carrey's been putting up. That's making a lot of news and he's, he's stirring a lot of people up. And oh, I haven't uh, seen that in the, Oh yeah, check out his he he's his new career is now that he's become a painter, Jim uh -huh. Carrey. And well he has been painting for 5 years or so, but now he's putting on Twitter each of his latest creations and they're all heavy political attacks, oh. um, derogatory images of the leaders uh and it's getting a huge amount of news coverage. So uh, and he's dumped all his Facebook stock after he found out that Russians were influential in the U.S. presidential election and so on. So, And Facebook did not was aware and did not uh, stop the ad campaigns and stuff. Anyway, look, this is all this is this isn't changing anyone's lives. But um, bottom line is, uh, yeah, I'm on. We're on. Facebook. Well, I think it's, I think I think it's, it's a good <laughs> reminder to, to uh, for people that. You know, once you once you deal successfully with your condition, you can then go back to the things that uh, <laughs> th that are positive in life. Like your 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 goal in life is not to beat RA. That's a means to you know enjoying laughs and family and love and right. all the other experiences that make life worthwhile. So exactly, exactly. That's right. That's right. And. Uh, you know, when I was told I wouldn't be able to have kids, it just it's an extra sweetness, you know, with with the children knowing that uh, getting off the medications um, led to something far greater than just more energy. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm, I'm so glad uh -huh. you didn't, uh, you know, name them, you know, like, so there and up yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We've still got one chance left, though. So who knows? <laughs> we haven't picked his name yet, so. If you, yeah, yeah, we'll have to see. We're Shinya. <laughs> Shinya, exactly. <laughs> Shinya, yeah, Shinya the second. 
Yeah. All right. Shinya. You know, I do like Japanese names. I've always liked the name Ryu, uh, which is uh, a character from Street Fighter mm. 2. I don't know if you remember playing that game. Um, and uh, and I've, I've said to Melissa a few times, my wife, you know, I said, I really like this name Ryu, and we haven't actually written that name off. However, in Japan, that's like Smith. You know, it's like the most common name ever. Um, so, you know... We continue to have fun thinking of names. It's a fun experience. Great, yeah. Keep 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 uh, keep a list of all of them so that you can, when your kids are mad at you, you can say, you know, I could have named you this. But exactly. Puts everything in perspective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's right. Have you got kids of your own? I, yeah, I yeah. I do have that. a daughter who's twenty-two and a son who's eighteen. Okay, you must have started early, did you? Um, not really. Right, you just look at look looking young because of the good eating and lifestyle. Yeah, and, and the lighting, I'm sure, helps too. So. <laughs> How long did you spend in makeup? <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I did. The hard part was getting this fever blister to look just right. <laughs> yeah, those uh, those those horror movie experts are good at that, aren't they? They make it look yeah. real. Yeah, God. All right, well, Clint, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, getting to know you, and and seeing your your impact on on the world and all these concentric circles. And uh, as as sad as I am that I don't, we don't know more about uh, optical whatever. whatever yeah. Um, yeah. I'm I'm so grateful that you uh, that that life took you in this direction. It's uh, it's really a, a pleasure and an honor to speak to you today. Oh, that's very, very warm words. Thank you very much, Howard. Hopefully we can meet at a conference at some time uh, down the track. You know, I'm, I've just started to, you know, get into the you know, rhythm here of the, the conferences that happen and which ones I should go to and potentially be a speaker at with some luck in the future. And, um, you know, is there one that you go to every year that I might, that I should go to and, and hopefully meet you at? Um, it's changing because I just, uh, I've just joined a startup as a co-founder. And so I've moved into more employee employer health um, uh-huh. from, rather than, you know, the work that I was doing was very much like yours working with individuals sort of direct to consumer. Um, we can talk offline. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's beautiful. a lot of good, good places and good people out there. And I, I can certainly tell you the, the conferences that have the best food. Awesome. Okay. Well, that sounds like a great chat. Thanks so much Thank for having you. me. Thank you. Take care. What do you think? Is Clint not a sweetheart and brilliant and kind and all those things, plus funny and Australian? That was a very special interview to me. Um, and I hope that the Patterson program continues to grow so that, uh, you know, he'll come, he'll come here to do a, uh, a workshop sometime and I can get to meet him. So um, if you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast and you'd like to support the mission, first thing you can do is subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do that, check out plantyourself.com slash review for all the info. And if you'd like to find out more about the next run of the Big Change program slash Well Start Health, just go to wellstarthealth.com slash program and you can find out more about it. We don't have another fixed date, but it'll probably be within the month or so. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about, including Ryu from Street Fighter 2 at plantyourself.com slash 272. 
If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 271 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. In garden news, we've had a lot, a lot, a lot of rain. The greens are doing good. The tomatoes, some of them are hanging in there. Some of them seem to have rotted out or been uh, infested with something. And no matter how hard we work, the fire ants keep coming back. So they're fun. And looks like we may have a really good blueberry crop this year. And last year, um, we got zero um, scuppernung grapes, which is a variety of muscadine. They're very, very sweet grapes with a very thick skin and seeds. And last year, we didn't get a single one. But this year, there are bunches of the teeny suckers on the vine. So I'm hoping that uh, not pruning it back as violently as I did last year will, uh, will help us get a, a good harvest. In running news, I had a good weekend. I did uh, 25 miles, 12 on Saturday, 13 on Sunday, and ran with a a new running buddy who I don't want to uh, tell you about yet, but who I hope will be a guest on the podcast sometime in the next month. He's pretty much an ultra running legend. How's that for a tease? All right, let's talk about thanks. Let's bring up the music. Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace by, of course... Will Ridenauer. Check out willridenauer.com for more of his beautiful West African-inspired music. And of course, thanks to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. I'm going to take it easy today. I've been a little bit under the weather. My throat's a little scratchy, so I'm not going to push this. Let's do it nice and leisurely for a change. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kanofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Joe Zina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, which rhymes with circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Dila Lacerte, David Donahue, Blair Cyber. Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warabek, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, which rhymes with cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch of Plant Happy Oregon, Sabine Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rolf, Linda Ayat, Julie Langholm, Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva Lael, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health. Hey, Sherry, we saw each other at uh, Peapod last week. It was great uh, hanging out. Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle Ann, Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divot, and Joshua Summermeyer, and your name here for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends.